0: Really, it's about being intuitive through communication. Often people say to me, you can't teach intuition. Yeah, you know what? You can teach intuition. And the reason you can teach it is if you really think about it, what does intuition mean? Intuition is taking the time to understand what people's goals are, what their generation or their life has created as their expectations, and understand what makes them walk out the door at the end of the day saying, that was a great day. Hi, I'm Nikki Mackie. I'm an industry leader in the multi-generational workforce and human behaviour, a business owner of People Assets and the proud author of Gen Norm. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN Podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance. With insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast. Supporting your journey every step of the
1: way. Company leaders, managers and key business influencers today operate in interesting times to say the least. Amid growth ambitions and an uncertain future, We are facing one of our greatest frontline business challenges yet because 2020 is the year where over 50% of employees will be in their mid-30s or younger. The complexities posed by the situation of having five generations within a team are already being felt across the board. So for example, imagine having a tech-savvy Gen Z team member with curious and creative personality wanting to push forward really quickly with new ideas and see how they work out, working alongside a baby boomer who seeks clear direction and structure and moves forward Only with surety. How do you make sure everyone's needs are being met against the backdrop of what is right for your business? Nikki Mackey is the leading authority on multi generational workforces in Australia. Her book on the subject, Gen Norm Why Multi Generational Workplace Management is the New Norm for Succeeding in Business Today, was released in 2018. And today we speak with Nikki on ways in which business leaders can uncover each team member's self drivers and how to create opportunities for them so that they can play to their strengths. Here's Nikki. Nikki, welcome to the show. I'm keen right off the bat to find out how does something like multi-generational workplaces become a focus and a passion of yours?
0: I sat back and I decided that I wanted to write a book and my book was going to um, be about people. And I thought, what's the best way to capture what people are really about, and so it drew me back to the fact that really my passion is is that I love human behaviour. It intrigues me, um, and I find it really enlightening to work out what makes people tick. I'm one of those people that like to look beyond a situation and look for the true reason that people behave in the way that they do. You know, I've always been described as exceptionally intuitive. However, I think it's more than being intuitive. It's about finding the way that the five generations and really six now coming up um, interact with each other and break down some of those myths because there's so much judgment attached to, oh, that's because of someone's upbringing, someone's age. And I thought there's more to this. Um, and what I did is I also created at the same time that I wanted to create the topic of gen norm and the multi-generation was I also created a personality profiling tool because what I wanted to do was say it is a generation, but also everyone's unique. So let's dig and find a little bit deeper about individuals as well.
1: So let's backtrack a little now that I've set the scene with that. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your story and the success that you've had with your career? In essence, what are you known for?
0: Well, what I'm known for is that I'm intuitive, I'm straight to the point, and I look at what works for business. Anyone can pick up a model of uh, people management practices and say, yep, I'll put that in place. What I do is that I take a step back and I look at what does the business look like? Where are they looking to go? And how do their people form an integral part of that? Because where I've come from is that I've come from, you know, a loving family, three siblings, and I've had the opportunity to do and achieve my goals. I've had full support. But despite this... I am like every other human and have had hurdles along the way. You know, when I was 15, I was bullied and I attempted to take my own life. Now, I look at that and say that create, now being older and wiser, I see that as a hurdle that created my insight and passion to understand people because no one sets out to be mean, no one sets out to be challenging of others. But when I look at some of the decisions I've made in my life, the integral turning point for me was when I allowed others' behaviour to influence mine, which really created the essence of why I wanted to understand and talk about human behaviour more. Because my work ethic and my work ethos after um, being 15 and leaving school for two years and then going back that I had to start to live fearlessly. My mantra was about every time someone said to me in business of my own, but also when I worked for others, you know, can I do this? I would say, of course we can. We can find a way to integrate human behaviour and business practices anywhere. We can find different ways to make it successful for everywhere and everyone. In my career I've been fortunate to have roles that have incorporated not only being a part of the business process and decision making but apply my knowledge and analysis of people to be able to draw the best results for individuals and also for companies because I've never forgotten there was a there was a moment I worked for an organization we sat down and did the ritual succession planning. And I said, this guy, you know, he's never performed. He's never achieved what we wanted. So I said, okay, no problems. Let me go and talk to this individual. And I walked in. It was pretty scruffy. His business looked, you know, underprepared. And really, it just looked a mess. Like no one loved it. So one of my first questions I said to the employee was, when was the last time someone came and talked to you and talked to you about what you think is right for the business? And he said that in his last 10 years, he could probably count on one hand. So I waited up and said, okay, the business isn't happy. This individual is completely engaged. So I just had a conversation with him about what his frustrations were. And also gave him an insight into why the business was frustrated. But one of the best things is that after that conversation, he shared that, you know what, he'd lost his spark, it was time for him to move on. But most importantly, he thanked me for listening to his voice. Because what often happens is in business and normal human behavior is we all shy away from the tough stuff. What I reminded the business of and what's been an integral part of my career is that avoiding the tough stuff doesn't help you in the long run. It's not fair to individuals and it's just not right to the business.
1: I love that we can attitude that you spoke about. I love it. It really does help empower people. The challenges leaders face is always a topic of conversation and content. From your point of view, though, working with leaders day in, day out, what are some of the biggest challenges you see leaders experiencing with their teams?
0: Look, I think some of the biggest challenges are that, you know, 80% of a leader's time should be spent with their people, building capability, listening, tapping into their strengths. However, because business leaders are charted with business goals, which are critical, Um, they in fact spend probably only about 20% with their people. And that 20% is typically taken up by dealing with issues rather than dealing with capability building. So my my biggest advice and where I work on is saying, let's flip this around. And if we build capability and play to people's strengths, we will actually achieve so much more out of that 20% of available time rather than trying to push them to the 80%. Issues don't come about if you play to people's strengths.
1: You spoke before about how everyone is an individual and then you gave the example of that staff member that had lost their spark and wasn't really engaged with the business much anymore. What's your advice to leaders, though, on the best way to balance the expectations and needs of their team when the workforce is made up of so many different types of people? Because... Different people, let alone different generations, are shaped differently, they have different experiences, and often see the world and business differently in terms of how they think things should be done. How do we balance that?
0: The way that I focusing focus on balancing things is that typically, if you think about it, people judge the behavior of others under their own experience and their own behavioural-based ways that they would handle issues. As a society, the common element is really that people judge others on their own radar of expectations. And as a leader, we should actually be asking ourselves, why do we do this? What we should be doing is taking a step back and not reacting to behaviour but understanding the why. You know, in past generations, for example, you take mental health People in past generations saw that as a weakness and disregarded how important it was to care about your workforce. I've worked with so many CEOs in the past where their opinion has been, well, that's not our problem. If they bring issues with them, they need to deal with it. So I work, you know, I worked on focusing on changing the mindset. Because the fact is more, if you listen to um, the words, if we don't always respond to the actions that people show us, we can dig a little bit deeper and focus on having conversations that understand those strengths. So it may not even be about work, talking about, you know, what's your favourite thing to do outside of work? When's the last time you had a good laugh? You understand the triggers that make people engage and enjoy in what they do.
1: You speak about the customer proposition. I've heard you speak about that before. What is that exactly and how does applying the customer proposition relate to creating an actual thriving multi-generational workplace?
0: Really why I draw back to the customer proposition because in most occasions, no matter what we do, we're selling and we're explaining. And every one of us have a customer service experience, if that be as a worker in in a customer service field, if it be that we're customers ourselves. So what I do is focus more on is that the customer proposition is that there's always an end customer. When we work in any organisation, we always think about why we're here. Who are we trying to service? Who are we trying to help? So if we focused on our people as being customer-centric and focus more on the principles that, you know, through a sales process, don't we discover the needs? Don't we look for solutions? We should. Uh, Exactly. You know, the best, those shops that you think, that's my favourite shop I'm going to go back to, we do that because they understand us. They've taken the time to listen, to ask questions, to find out what we want, how we want it. And what's the best way to shape a solution? So what I do when I talk about customer proposition, and I'll never forget talking to the best salesperson I've ever met. They were amazing. They could engage any form of customer and sell them something that was sustainable and a solution. And one day I did a training session and I talked about that people management is no different to selling. And I've never seen the penny drop quicker with anyone. Because he looked at it and went, You're right. People management actually isn't that hard. If I look at what does my customer look like? What generation do they come from? What are the what sort of personality are they? Think about what we want for what they want and what we want. We create strategies that actually create a solution for them. It's no different to selling a product or a service
1: you obviously have a high work ethic yourself. How do you ensure and how do leaders ensure that they instill this in a workplace? Because those workplaces so often have many generations in one place and especially in workplaces where people in the team who are working there, they can range from being the owner of a pharmacy who are obviously very committed to the success of their business right through to other people who are just there as casual employees and maybe they don't actually see themselves having a career path in pharmacy.
0: How I look at it, and, and when I look at any type of workforce, and if you think about a pharmacy, it's similar to my team within my business. You know, I have um, at times between five staff members and eight. They all work remotely from me, so the level of engagement has to be high. And they're all from different age brackets and different generations and different circumstances in life. and. Work ethic that I see comes in, again, it's about judging past behaviours of ourselves and expecting everyone to be the same. Everyone wants to work hard. They're just driven by different things. So, for example, sitting down having a coffee with a millennial and they talk about their father saying, why do you spend all your money? Why don't you save and buy the Australian dream of of your first house? They said, I don't want a house. I'm going to buy shares to secure my future because I'm going to balance on experience. So when you think about a pharmacy, you think about the fact as to one of the biggest challenges in a small business and a small team is how do you give everyone the same opportunities when everyone wants something different? I had an accounting client years ago and One of the things the owner struggled with is that I want to work here for maybe a couple of years, save some money, but I can't keep them and I need to retire and I'm looking for my successor. And so what I did is said, it's not only about having conversations and making sure that they are gathering knowledge, but at the end of the day, everyone wants to have the sense of achievement and gain experience. So in that firm, what I said is I said, right, what what I would do with every performance appraisal and conversation is say, what I want you to do to their team, sit back and update your resume and update your resume around all the things you did this year, all the things you learned, all the things that you did different to last year. Think about that challenging customer in a pharmacy where going through a difficult time and you're both emotionally supporting them as well as supporting them through the um, from a medical perspective what did you get from it and I can guarantee you that those people look back and go wow I don't need to leave look at all everything I'm learning and you know what this isn't just a HR dream this is about... Everyone, let's leave our titles at the door and remember that we're people and people are driven by experiences and learning. And that might be experience to facilitate, you know, going away as often as they can. It may be experience to leverage their career, but careers are built by both life and work experience and encouraging people to capture it guarantee will increase engagement in your team.
1: Well, on those experiences and learning, as everyone is different, are there ways that you advise leaders to appeal to the different personalities and generations in the workplace to help the individuals and then ultimately the business achieve the best outcomes? Because I'm curious if there are actually some overarching things that are based on generalizations of various generations, or is it really like that? Story you told before about the salesperson looking at staff from a sales perspective and really individualizing it every single time?
0: There's definitely some overarching interpretations. um, But attached to those overarching interpretations, so understanding the difference between a baby boomer and Generation X are still important, but it's still important to always back it up by personalization. So one of the, for example, if you look at a perception, a baby boomer, you know, they're stuck in their ways. Are they really? Are they really stuck in their ways? Or are they more driven by loyalty and respect of hierarchy? You know, they're driven by, you know, having their experience respected and focus more on an outcome and the best way to get there. You know, how many times have you heard, I have young children say, oh, you never move with the technology you don't understand but remember in a baby boomer environment you know whilst a millennial can't think of an environment without technology baby boomers didn't have those te- didn't have the same technology so they have to they had greater level of flexibility to dig deeper and find longer lasting solutions but it might take a little bit longer for them to actually take up the technology. So, you know, you think about a, you know, I love, I love the misconception around um, millennials. They won't work longer hours. That's actually incorrect. They might clock off and work, you know, walk out the door at five o'clock, but they're driven by the value of their contribution. But they also use smarter ways to do things. So because. Technology is constant. I'll never forget having people saying, you know, I always I feel like I've got to be connected 24-7 because I'm getting emails at three o'clock in the morning. And a millennial thinks, Oh, I've got to respond to that. Well, no, you don't. That might be someone else's work pattern. But they're getting an email, they get a ding on their phone at three o'clock in the morning and go, Oh my goodness, I've got to answer that. So the other thing is, is that you know, I think the the biggest one is that you know, particularly millennials, that you know, they they're not reliable. They take time off. They actually are reliable, but again, it's about invigorating that engagement. Because one of the interesting things is that you know, did you know that millennials, out of every four dollars they earn, they actually spend two dollars fifty of it. So. The thing is, is that they are looking for different things. You know, the the importance of, you know, it's hard to get them focused on, on something shorter, a short time span. Well, that's not the case because everything comes back to personal value. I mean, I might have this incredibly high work ethic and, you know, want to get involved all the time. But the difference is, is that we've got to understand what, We want people to, the activities we want them to undertake and then align how it works. So, for example, a new graduate pharmacist, they need to understand the importance of dispensing medication before they can move to other aspects of the role. So how do we get them to understand? Is we show them through either watching, explaining, but to demonstrate, see that lady over there? She's going through a challenging situation at the moment and the best way for me to be prepared is through all the different options and knowledge I've acquired by dispensing medications in the first place, to see the different medications that are being dispensed, see how they've helped different individuals. So it's about learning the basics first, but I think the biggest thing is we've got to break the elephant in the room And that is saying that everyone is the same. Because when we assume they're the same, we don't get the right outcomes.
1: You spoke about 3am dings, always connected, the pressure to have to respond quickly. And that so often impacts our mental health, regardless of what generation we might be in. With mental health being so prevalent in today's workplace and that mindset shifting from if they bring it in, it's their problem from the outside rather than we all have to take responsibility for it. How would you advise people to best support their teams, to firstly be active in trying to stay mentally healthy, but also in situations where staff may be experiencing mental health challenges, where workplaces have a role in supporting them?
0: Yeah, I think the, the most important thing for leaders to address is is to overcome their over their overarching concern. And that is fundamentally through my experience that people don't want to talk about it because if I talk about it, then I have to be the solution. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions around mental health. You don't always have to have the answers to support what someone going through a challenging time. Sometimes it's just being honest and acknowledging that, you know what? Everyone has challenging times in their life. The team don't, the team want to see and where the greatest level of respect of mental health comes from is that they want to see that even the strongest person, even their boss, even the experienced people around them are human as well because mental health is not a sign of weakness. It's just a different type of challenge that someone might be experiencing because if we haven't experienced ourselves, what we're actually trying to demonstrate is our ability to be empathetic, and maybe having more resources available for them. There are so many both, you know, fee attracting but also free services that people can tap into. There's organisations, for example, like Grief Line. People might think, oh, grief. That, that's only attached to a loss of someone. Do you know what? Grief can be experienced when people um, lose a job, when they have an argument with their partner. Everything creates mental torment in some way. People sometimes demonstrate it through stress, through shortness with others, going quiet. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to watch out for changes in mood concentration, attendance or attitude, because all of these can be signs that people have other things going on in their lives. And often I hear leaders saying, well, that's not my issue because it's outside work. Our team members spend the majority of of their waking hours with us at work. So isn't it better to create an environment where you can open – your ears to actually listening and fundamentally remember as a leader, the only mistake you can make is to not be there to listen, but never assume you've got to be the solution.
1: Some great advice on a really important point there, Nikki. It could be argued that the most common team member bias that comes into every workplace is that everyone starts with a perception of what their role will entail. How do you ensure everyone truly understands that every job has stepping stones in it and sometimes it has those boring parts, but that those boring parts are actually really important and vital to the business?
0: One of the the most important thing. And the biggest thing that often we get wrong in business is that it all starts with the recruitment process. I mean, how many times have people been to the interview, walked out and thought, okay, they said that was really great, but I know nothing about the job. Because in recruitment, we spend all our time trying to sell what we should be doing is really focusing on what you're really trying to assess is around ad- attitude energy and style now in reality people come to an interview to sell their best but what's wrong with just like we're doing today have a conversation because And talk about the realities. There's so many times that we kind of, we keep the boring stuff hidden, but let's just be honest and create a connection. So, for example, in the environment of a pharmacy, tell people that, look, I know you might think that starting with dispensing of medication, you can't see the value of it. So it's just a boring thing that you do. You know what? It's not. Because by doing that, as I mentioned before, it builds knowledge to help people more effectively. Because if we focus on being creative and remembering that, sometimes, like some people learn by watching a video, some people learn by watching others, but remind people up front that it's, this is the good, the bad and the ugly about jobs and back it up through the employment relationship, you know, make sure they've got a job description, but make sure that things connect. Connect to, if I do this, it will contribute to my overall knowledge to achieve my goal of where I want to be in two years' time.
1: Seems a bit of a silly question now. Look at it again on my list of questions here, just to boil this down, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just to really focus the listeners. But. What is the one skill that you think leaders need and really sits at the centre of connecting with their team and helping them be successful?
0: Really, it's about being intuitive through communication. And, you know, often people say to me, you can't teach intuition. Yeah, you know what? You can teach intuition. And the reason you can teach it is because if you really think about it, what does intuition mean? Intuition is taking the time, to understand what people's goals are, what their generation or their life has created as their expectations, and understand what makes them walk out the door at the end of the day saying, that was a great day. That's all it is.
1: How critical do you see leadership's role in driving the behaviour they are looking for in their team? Should they be on top of everybody and really be that shining light or is it more of a case these days where they sort of set the expectations, they spend their time understanding their staff and they let them grow into that a little bit more? Is it more of a a team focus or is it really the leader's job to drive it?
0: Look, I think there's a balance of responsibility. People have expectations and as individuals, as part of the team, they have a role to play and they need to own that drive. But where a leader can shape it is create an environment that's conducive to learning. A bit like when, you know, I'm sure you've heard the stories about the CEO thinks that the, that the person in the, the lowest paid role in the organisation is just as important as them. I said before, the most effective teams for me and the most effective leaders are where we leave titles at the door. Titles are only there for other people, predominantly externally, to draw from. But if we all actively contribute, we all build resilience around collective learning. And you might think that's a bit of a HR dream. It actually isn't. It's not a dream because if you show respect... If you encourage not only as leaders but individuals to be intuitive enough to care about everyone having a good opportunity, then you can do that right from your casual through to your business owner because everyone just has a different title but they're all there for the same reason and that's to gain experience and be a part of an environment that that shares learning and grows where they want to go in the future.
1: Fascinating chat. Lots of great advice for everyone, I think. Nikki, if the listeners want to get in touch and learn more about how you can work with them and help, what can they do?
0: They can um, go to my website, both my business website, which is at uh, peopleassets.com.au or myself, nickymackie.com.au, can follow me on social media and um At any time I'm available, I spend a lot of time just having conversations with people and helping them through from where do I want my business to be and how do my people get the most out of it for them as individuals, but also to help me achieve my outcomes. And you know what? My motto in life is I love what I do and I just happen to get paid. (laughs)
1: Outstanding. Nikki Mackie, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your expertise and insights into creating a thriving multi-generational workplace.
0: That's my pleasure. It was fantastic. Thanks for all your time.
1: Thanks, Nikki, for those insights. While it's a complex time with over 50% of employees being in their mid 30s or younger, and the situation where we can have five generations working in the one team, your advice and insights were great in helping us start to make sense of it all. If you would like to hear more from Nikki, she will be presenting at the upcoming ACT event, ACT Community Pharmacy 2020, Your Pharmacy, Your Community, on the 15th of February. To register, visit the ACT Guild website, guild.org.au forward slash guild hyphen branches forward slash ACT. If you are unable to attend the session, then you can certainly visit Nikki's website for more information. Simply go to nickymackie.com.au, N-I-C-K-Y-M-A-C-K-I-E.com.au. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 38 of the PBCN Podcast. The
0: PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.